All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we discuss crazy dock owners waking up early to fish, we do some old school bass fishing trivia, and we wrap up with a couple of wild close call stories from our buddy Gerald Sport. Also, I forgot to mention in the actual podcast, I've got my YouTube channel fired up. So that is Josh Bertrand Fishing, and I've been putting a bunch of videos and content up there, um, and I'm, I'm going to keep it coming moving forward. So if you get a chance, go check that out. We just did a video uh, fishing and camping up at Roosevelt Lake. Uh, I was with my wife, and uh, we had some pretty funny moments. So um, check that out. Please like and subscribe, and thanks again for watching and listening to the show today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. We are back at you uh, early morning style. It's been a while since we recorded super early. We're all dragging, and um, to be honest, though, this is not nearly as early as you have to wake up to go fishing right now. The sun's actually been up for 30 minutes, and uh, over the past week, I've gone fishing a few times and woken up. My alarm clock has been set for 2.30. Oh, 115 <laughs> and 215 to get up to Roosevelt for various reasons. So um what's funny is the the days where I fished the full day, the 230 was a pre-fish day, the 115 was a tournament day, fished all day, came home and I was fine. Yesterday uh woke up at two, went up there for a quick photo shoot. I was back home at nine and I was literally dead i mean i came home i i went to fire up the burner on the stove to make some mac and cheese for lunch for the kids and uh chantelle comes over and she's like you need to take a nap because apparently the water was sitting on one of the burners that was not ignited and there was a hot burner going for like 15 minutes with nothing on it so i went ahead and took a nap at that point but uh i Smart. digress What's going on with you guys, Rob? Let's start with you, dude. I can relate with that. That's uh, that's my every day. Seems like um, I'm always getting up early this time of year to do guide trips, and and I, if you don't get up that early, like you can't you can't even imagine what it's like at times. And like you said, you'll be fine some days, and then there's just that one day that just zaps you. You know, so you can't function yeah, unless you take a nap. It's like you could fight yeah. it all day or just take a one hour nap and, and, and be a human again. Yeah. Start over. Exactly. So, but yeah, I've been fishing a little bit. Um, just enjoying the boat. Uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. But uh, funny story. One of our buddies, I'm going to call him out. Yes. Uh, <laughs> our buddy Carson, I'm not going to use his last name, told me a funny story yesterday. So you know how we always have routines and the reason I'm bagging on him is because I'm so guilty, dude. Like <laughs> recently twice I've left one strap on the back of my boat. Oh gosh. And oh, what's funny is both times it's been with one with Les and one with Alex. And like Alex points out, he's like, you're not on a guide trip. So you just kind of like you don't engage completely. Right. So okay. anyhow, try to make uh, you feel better. I saw Carson on the water yesterday. And he's like, dude, you'll never believe what I did. He goes, I unhooked the front of my boat. Wasn't thinking just launched it back. And I look back and my boat is drifting. <laughs> so he oh. said he had to get down to his boxers and climb in the boat. And 
or swim out to it, climb in. And then isn't that hilarious? I don't know if I would do that. I might stand on the end of the dock and wait till someone came up, but yeah, that's, Hey, props to him. <laughs> yeah. he, he obviously trusts his, his abilities, but uh, yeah, I'm with you, dude. I, I don't trust yeah. myself enough to, to go do that. I've, I've heard of, of too many drownings, man. So another dude, another thing that was like the craziest thing I've probably ever seen at the lake happened yesterday. Also. Oh, heck yeah. So I don't know. I got on the water like seven 30, which is, you know, later than normal for me. And I'm running across uh Saguaro Lake and there's a, I mean, would you consider that bottom basin? What's that? A couple miles wide from yeah, one end to the so. other. Yeah. yeah. So I'm running along and you know how like we're, we're fishermen. So we're uber sensitive to like uh, when the lake is glass and you see splashing in the middle of the lake. Uh huh. And I see, I'm like, that had to be a giant carp. Like it, it was the biggest splash <laughs> I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> so I kind of start going that direction just cause, and it happens again and I get closer and I realize there's a person in the middle of the lake. Whoa. No boat and around. Like, like just his head's floating, like just above water. And I come off plane, I get a little closer and then he starts swimming like he knew what he was doing. And then he <laughs> stopped. So I get closer and I shut my motor off. I'm like, are you all right? And he said, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Oh. I said, I said, do you, well, I probably, I used some choice words. I, I said, do you realize you're probably going to get run over out here? And oh no, I didn't realize that. I said, where are you going? he literally points like a mile plus away across the lake. Um, I said, do you have a life jacket? He goes, no. I said, can I help Uh. you? He said, no. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea if the guy made it back. No idea. Like that's crazy, dude. Nuts, dude. Like it wasn't like he was, um, a triathlete exercising. They usually have, (laughs) it wasn't David Goggins. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it was, I don't know what think about. So he's going to, swim all the way across completely exhausting what's a couple miles swim that's equivalent to in a marathon or a triathlon that's equivalent to a 100 mile bike ride or a, a that's a big old piece of exercise is what it is so you get to the other side you have nothing to drink <laughs> yeah and then and then you got to look back and go back across i just I, yeah so I, to be honest with you, I kind of regret like leaving him there, but what are you going to do? I, I offered everything I could to the guy and he refused everything. So hmm. That's I don't so bad, dude. Yeah. It's so dangerous on, in it'll so definitely many be on, ways. It'll definitely be on my mind for a while. So, well, and then in light of the tragedy that happened on Pleasant last weekend too, right? Dude, there was the a, last five weekends. Seriously, seriously. Yes. Right. Yeah. Man. People just need to be careful. It's nuts, dude. I, d- so Josh, you went fishing yesterday, did a photo shoot. Did you put your life jacket on? I did. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, to be, I just think uh, it's so, so critical. Like every bass fisherman, we're just, it's in our minds to put a life jacket on when we're tournament fishermen. Right. And then all of a sudden you just go fun fishing and you go 70 mile an hour up the lake without a jacket on. It makes no sense to me. You so, are, you're probably the best I know at, at making I'm, sure that you're wearing that thing. And for good reason, man. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it and Hey, I'm guilty of not doing it all the time, but me, I definitely me, do it more than I used to. Me too, dude. I'm guilty. Just like in a, on a guide trip, I'm like, okay, I'm only going to go 35 miles an hour. I've sure. got all these people in the boat. We got jackets everywhere. It's so I'm guilty of it at times, but it's just, I think you're more susceptible to an accident when you're, by yourself with a buddy and you're going to go haul ass across the lake and, and 
kind of tournament style fish, but not with, so yeah. Things I, know. Can, I know, I know accidents can happen anytime. So you really got to be on top of it, but. Dude, I mean, I, I had, I was up at Roosevelt last week with Chantel and uh, whoever I did this to might be listening and I owe, owe them an apology because I was, and this could just happen. Like I, I'm a, I'm a cautious boater uh, and I'm an experienced yep. boater. I'm cruising across the lake and I'm eyeballing this place that I'm going to fish and I'm going slow, like 30, 40 miles an hour, just like you said. And, uh, but I'm cutting across the lake and this point that I want to fish, there's a kayak tournament going on <laughs> and, uh, I'm trying to figure out is this kayaker fate, which way is he fishing on this point? And can I fish this point? And I'm so locked in on that kayaker and this place I'm about to fish all of a sudden I hear right behind me and I look back and there's a dude going like 70 Ooh. in a boat, bass boat. And I mean, he must've gone less than 50 feet behind us oh. and all I can gather. And, and apparently Chantel saw him like, look back, like what the hell are you doing? I didn't uh -huh. see that, but clearly I think he had probably been going 70 down the lake for a while. And I'm just cutting across slowly looking at this kayaker figuring out if i need to be pissed at him or not for sitting on my spot that's right get off the juice bro i didn't even see this boat you know so, but like it was just could happen that quick right that's like, the hardest part with kayaks both ends pointy so you don't know what direction dude, they're going. exactly <laughs> i know no no nothing against well well, well yeah we're like, losing our final two listeners talking about kayaks we're not talking trash about kayaks oh, no. so I'm, talking I'm just pointing out a fact that they're both pointy on both yep. ends but hey, uh, if that dude would have been looking at the kayaker too, then hey, we might have been in trouble. You would have been a nice jump. He would have got so much yeah. air as he climbed over yeah. the back of your boat. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that is freaky that that dude was just literally swimming. I mean, he just sounds like a clueless individual, man. That's yeah. ridiculous. Some of the seedier circles I hang out with of non-fishing types, sometimes when they get on their like hardcore extra, you know, it's funny, like, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but in your circles of friends, occasionally like extreme amounts of exercise becomes in fashion. And we've seen this with our own beloved Rob Vanderkoy, who rides his mountain bike like thousands of miles a weekend. Sometimes they like, I have had friends that get really into swimming and this time of year, especially hmm. they'll go to Saguaro like super early in the morning. And I remember like a handful of years ago when the algae bloom was really good and there was a lot of dead fish they'd be like yeah it's weird I've, I've noticed there's a lot of dead fish and the water's kind of a different color as so they're like gross. swimming from like the ramp to like butcher jones I'm like oh yeah there's a really large algae bloom going on and a major fish kill <laughs> so disgusting like, that's being in that water dude oh like, that's should, nasty you should google that like if there's dead things around you it's like probably but most you should go swimming at the public pool most of the folks training yes. for triathlons have, they've got the little thing with the flag on it, the little buoy with the flag that trails behind them and they stay in the no wake buoys or close to the shore. It's just, this yeah. guy was in a bad, bad spot, man. It's common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uncommon. Yeah. I guess though, like when you're training for a triathlon and there's a large fish hill going on, you have a lot of access to protein. And yeah. that's probably why they do that. You know, there like, you go. Just, Good point. it's like a cliff bar floating by you. Just take a bite. <laughs> it's a new flavor. Rotten carp. It's delicious. Oh. It's right up there with white chocolate macadamia. Yeah, dude. Oh, it's nasty. What, what's up your way, Nick? I know you've been really busy yourself. 
yeah, busy running in circles, going nowhere and achieving nothing, but that's kind of my, my style. Uh, it's, you know, we're just getting ready for world tour 2022. Um, today's the last day of school for my kids. Uh, Josh, you nice. mentioned you had a little sickness going on in your house. Welcome to the, you don't even need a welcome. You've been here, but that's always the, the fun part of parenting. Lots of, lots of potential illnesses floating around. So no one's had a fever in the last 24 hours. So counting that as a victory, but <laughs> it's funny talking about the sun coming in earlier and earlier. And since I am a poser and never fish, but I didn't want to sleep through our early podcast. My eyes opened at 3 a.m. and the light was coming through the blinds. And I was like, damn it, I slept through. And I like woke up in a panic. And I was like, oh, good, it's only 3 o'clock. And then I could hear my son, the youngest one, never sleeps. And he certainly never sleeps in his room. So he's always with us. I could hear him like struggling to breathe through his nose and mouth breathing, which is always like stage one of the next six or seven days of an ear infection slash no sleeping slash everything. I was like, no, (laughs) I wanted to like crawl in there and like punch him in the nose to make it start functioning again so that he could breathe. It's like, if you wake up early today, we're done. But, you know, all I have to complain about is, you know, self-induced problems like my own kids and, you know, just getting ready for some traveling. I I'm excited. My boat, um, is looking really good. I was actually going to ask you, I'll just publicly ask you for a favor. It doesn't look like it's going to be done in time before I leave. So if either one of you guys want to pick it up and uh, use it, you should do that because I'm going to need someone to pick it up from Robert's house. So you guys if can I'm arm here, wrestle dude, I'll over do that. It. I'm leaving on Monday though to uh, to go fish. So That's convenient. <laughs> yep. But I'll be glad to pick it up this weekend for you, bro. You might be able to. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, Okay. I, you know, I splurged and went for Basscat carpet, which my boy Robert has now educated me on the mm-hmm. likes of boat carpet. And it does look pretty nice. I saw a picture of it and uh, really excited to let that thing sit in my backyard and rot for a couple of years and look just like it did before I took it to him. So it's going to be good. Did you get a English happy hour emblem in the uh, carpet on the front Dude, deck? We went all out on this one. You know, like how they brand things. We made a stencil and lit it on fire so that it's kind nice. of like a 3D burn. It's, nice. it's pretty tight permanent just like this hanging out with you guys and recording podcasts this is this is a lifetime commitment (laughs) permanent sweet i can't wait to see it dude and uh what so you're obviously you're going down to uh mexico as a family are you trying to get some fishing in while you're there i would love to man i nothing's been booked solid unfortunately i uh i have some credit with my friend over where the rooster fish swim in June is always a great time of year for that. So mm. got my fingers gently crossed that we're not all going to be able to go. I know that, but maybe if I redeem some brownie points, I can sneak away. And, you know, last year, late June and Bacharach was awesome. Water levels were at like negative 4% and the four remaining fish were gasping for air on the surface. So there's always Sinaloa potential too. So I don't know. I don't have anything too exciting to report on yet, but got my fingers crossed. We know what is Sinaloa potential? That's Bacharach. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. I know. I would never want to go somewhere great at the right time of the year. My game plan is to go to an awesome place at the wrong time of the year so I can complain about catching nothing because I couldn't catch them anyways. So. <laughs> well, maybe it'll be better than it was that one time, but you know, I, I don't know. Do you know what the water level have you looked and, and, and seen what the water level is right now? If it's like last year, I haven't, I don't know how severe their drought is. Obviously we're living in the midst of an exceptional drought 
where we live and we're not exactly the same drainage, but I think we have Santa Lowe is farther south than us though. I know Sonora shares like where uh, Novio and um, Obergon are kind of share the same drainages too. So I'm not sure. I'm assuming it's pretty dry and pretty low, but the Googles could tell us closer than that. Hmm. Right on. I know we touched on mead last week, but had it had, did we mention, I didn't realize that that turbine is out of the water at mead for creating electricity. So apparently there's a backup one, but be interesting and a little scary to see how that all plays out. Pray for rain. It seems like the whole, and I, you know, I, I follow it loosely, but um, it seems like that situation over at Mead went from like something that was on people's minds last year to like, it's really hitting the fan now and it's happening really fast. Like they're re- reserving a little bit of extra water up in Powell, which means even Mead less is, to me is being kind of temporarily sacrificed and uh, you know, it's going down fast and it's going to keep going down for like the whole year. So I, I'm hoping from a recreation standpoint, it's just a pause and, mm-hmm. and a miracle happens and it comes back, but I don't know, man, you know, and, and that's all, you know, being a guilty ass, just a, looking at it from just a fisherman's perspective, not actual life perspective, which I probably should since the, <laughs> the lifeblood of the whole Southwest. Uh, life is overrated. Yeah, exactly. I try not Without to think fishing, about it too much. <laughs> but I don't know, dude. I've kind of Lake Mead's on the back of my mind right now for sure. Yeah. Um, but doesn't yeah. it depend? Doesn't Lake Mead or Colorado River depend on snow in Colorado? Isn't that what it is for the most part? Wyoming, Colorado. There's okay. a you know it kind of leaches out, but whatever drains into the Colorado River. So you know Utah drains into that, and it's just been dry. I think my homies in Wyoming actually have had a pretty good spring when it comes to really? snowpack. So. So, you know, it just, it's, it's going to sustain some, but yeah. But year, we need years of good, That's, good, many years of it. Yeah. And we've grown in population size so much, right? So consumption is high. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't know, but uh, it'll all work out one way or the other, or we'll move to Alabama and then they can all say, don't Arizona, my Alabama. Because <laughs> yeah. They sure have plenty of water. I can't wait to get out there. That's the final end of the McMurray world tour this summer is back over there for a couple weeks to round it out i'm so excited there uh like july the first two weeks of july right before school starts back up so yeah i actually got a a sweet little um thing popped up and it's a two-bedroom cabin on the creek it's called pinkston creek that drains into jordan where my brother-in-law lives and uh trying to figure out how to pull that down so if you guys want to jump on board and be part of this private equity firm's acquisition of a meth lab on pinkston creek we're, we're taking qualified investors so rob shaking his head yes we'll we'll take a deposit shaking today, his head, yes <laughs> uh, just send me your routing and account number and we'll do a electronic transfer yeah we'll on get on that sounds fun but it's funny to see like for like 25 cents in a twinkie wrapper you can have a house on a year-round creek and then in arizona like if you have a bathtub of reclaimed water that's somehow called a residential pond it's like five million dollars it's funny how different that is seriously yeah it's totally different world that is (laughs) so we're gonna arizona the alabamans let's go there you go nice i hope you get it that's cool um 
Moving forward, we've got, I did want to give a quick shout out uh, to Kingston Bartley. Kingston and Mike are uh, buddies of ours. They listen to uh, most of the podcasts. And Kingston won his first uh, junior Bassmaster tournament last week on Liberty Springs Lake um, nice. in Denver. So I wanted to give him a shout out. He actually had uh, crushed him. I mean, he caught, I can't remember the exact way, but he caught some pigs and uh, he caught him up shallow. Um, on plastics and frogs. So I mean, think those cool. were his first frog fish ever. Um, huh. So that was pretty cool. Wanted to give him a shout out. And uh, also reminded me, we did have one question come in and uh, it's actually an angler asking for tips. It's a Good. new frog angler asking for tips on frogs. So, you know, I don't think we've ever talked much about frog fishing on the show and um, you know, it's kind of open-ended. So, I figured we would just take a couple minutes and break down, you know, a, a, maybe a setup to start with frog fishing, what to look for and, and when to throw it. Um, and we're kind of there right now, right? This is prime frog season, post-spawn. Can you think of a better time to throw a frog? No, not really. I mean, it's perfect right now. So um, our, our lakes don't always set up perfect for it, um, but there's times definitely little windows. Um, what do you, what's your take, Josh, on, I, I feel like there's two different rod setups for frogs and, and I think it, uh, it gets lost in the, the rod companies always build these frog rods that are longer and heavier. And it's more for like a, like a Delta app application where you're, where you're casting over big old mats of grass and having to wrench them out of there. And then a guy buys that rod and wants to fish the edge of the toolies in Arizona. And I think that rod's too ball. much. I just think it's too much. Do you, yeah. do you agree with that? A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, it's so a lot of frog fishing is, is accurate casting around lay down trees and, and like you said, edge of tulies and stuff like that. So if you have a seven, six heavy action rod, it's just going to be really difficult to put that yeah. frog where you want it. So yeah, I just, you got to look at it. We're definitely not telling you, you got to go buy two frog rods to start, but look at where do you fish? Do you fish? around lily pads and mats where you're making long casts and you need a lot of power or are you casting into little holes trying to make accurate casts you know and, and that's the difference you're gonna you might use the same line you're gonna probably use 65 pound braid maybe 50 but i really prefer 65 over 50 um in either situation but using you might be using a, a seven six heavy action rod in the thick stuff or you might be using as, as small as a seven foot medium heavy to really get those accurate casts up in that, you know, in those close quarters. And it, having a little tip in that rod seems to make a big difference to me for being able to cast accurately. Do you agree, Rob? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you try to try to cast it accurately with a super heavy rod. It's just not going to happen. You need to have that that you know you want good backbone um and then a you know pretty fast extra fast type tip um but with the braid i mean if you're fishing open water i mean the braid really helps you um set the hook hard i mean it's you're not at a disadvantage with a, a little limber not like, that's not the right word a little like a medium heavy versus a heavy action rod. You're, yeah, you're still no going to hook the fish with that hard hook set. And then the braided yeah. line, you're still going to penetrate those hooks will penetrate. Um, I Good would chance to get dual purpose on your jerk bait rod, right? If you're not fishing <laughs> open the pad, you just, you know, tie it onto your jerk bait rod and go to town. Now that would be right. something to see. <laughs> it's better. Maybe your spinner bait rod guys. 
<laughs> Way of the Frog's bending it at the second guide. That's what you want. <laughs> Give him a chance to swallow it. <laughs> you know, it's one other thing too for your hookups with frogs is like, you know, there's a lot of different frogs on the market, but um, a, to me, a lot of it is, is just look at that frog and, and say to yourself, is it going to be hard to hook a fish? Like when a fish eats this thing or the hooks, or is the, is the frog soft enough? Is there enough clearance when you, when you collapse that frog, is there enough clearance for those hooks to get the fish easily? And, and it's amazing how well designed some frogs are. And honestly, how poorly, in my opinion, how poorly designed a lot yep. of frogs are, you know, a, a fish uh, to me, a fish is going to eat a frog. If it's going to eat a frog, it's probably gonna eat the next one. But you know, how many fish can you actually land that blow up on it? So you just got to say, look at it. You just yeah, got to look yeah. at it. And what's you your, what's your go, what's your go-to frog, Josh? Uh, dude, yeah. I mean, I, you know, the spros are tough to beat because they've been around for a long time. Um, I, I use a handful of others, you know, typically you're, you got popping frogs, walking frogs and paddle tail frogs now. Um, okay. And the paddle tail frogs are kind of newer. The Tekel was the first one that came out a couple of years ago and really kind of uh, made a, it was a really big deal and it's, it's an awesome frog. And then now there's been a handful of companies that have, have made something similar to that Tekel where you're just reeling it straight in. But um, you know, typically your walking frog is going to have more of a cone shaped nose and you're going to be able to walk the dog with it where I really like those are, those i mean that's the frog that you can't go wrong with you could throw it in any situation um it excels around wood because that cone-shaped nose comes through the wood really well right the popping frog is awesome and i like that around um in some open water situations when i'm not around wood but the issue with the with that with wood is it does it hangs in the wood, you know, it just doesn't come through those little crevices in the wood nearly as well. So um, it's nice because if you're fishing around mats and stuff like that, you can, if you chose to work it a little more aggressively, you can move more water with it and spit and spray a little bit of water. It walks fine. Um, but, and then that, that um, paddle tail frog, that, that other style frog, would be more for covering water, maybe on the edges of things, or you know, work that works well around lily pads when you've got holes in the pads, you know, buzz it through those holes. But it really works well when you're fishing like edges of bank grass, hay grass, stuff like that. And um, you know, you look at the the if the fish are on shad, that's a really good thing because it does look like a shad's kind of skipping across the surface. Um, I don't know. Do you have one that you lean on more than others? The popping frog is probably my 100% go-to. Nice. Just because it's um, so versatile. And I think it walks better than a lot of frogs. I don't know if it, it does just, walk. It walks really well. So. And it catches giant fish. Giant fish, yes. Yeah. yeah, it does. Do you trim the legs at all to make it walk better? A lot of folks say yeah. you trim one shorter. Yes. I don't know how true that is, but I, I still do that. Yes. I'll try yeah, one shorter thanks. than the other. It's so <laughs> one funny guy how... said it early on and now I'm correct. Does yeah. It. You could, it's so funny how things just like most religions started the same way. So it's not uh -huh. really all that different. No doubt. Yeah. Fishing's definitely a cult. Six thousand years seeker, ago, bro. You got to trim one leg shorter <laughs> than the other, bro. Thank you. Later. <laughs> Come to Joshua tree. You'll understand. Uh, Man. It's funny.
how often do frogs come into play throughout the season for you, Josh? Do you, would you say that's like a 25% of the year, a 10% of the year? It just depends on the schedule. Like, obviously, so, probably just depends on the schedule. But. Yeah, what's funny is, dude, sometimes I feel like I don't throw a frog for nine months straight, uh-huh. and then I'll fish it for a few tournaments in a row. But it's one of those things that – Seasonal. You gotta, you've gotta always be ready to throw it because it can't. It's one. Of, it can be very magical when it happens, um, when the fish are in the right mood. But um, it's it's as hot as as hot and cold of a fishing technique as you'll ever see. And mm. um, in a tournament world, again, you know, it's if you're stubborn with it, you can really get burned with it. But if you're open minded and throw it at the right time, it's amazing. In the fun fishing world, it's one of the funnest ways to catch bass. It really is. I mean, because you're getting you're getting the topwater explosion. You're getting to set the hook as hard as you possibly can, which everyone loves to do. Um, it's a big fish technique, and uh, it's just awesome all the way around, man. So, like, uh, from a fun fishing perspective, I think um, it's a little easier to be stubborn with it. In the tournament world, um, it's, it's, you know, it goes, it played a little bit at Palestine. I caught quite a few on it um, at Palestine. Um, moving forward, I'll probably have one tied on here at Watts Bar next week. And uh, it's an absolute killer up north, but um, I'll be so stuck on the smallmouth when we go up there, I probably won't throw it. But I have a frog rigged up and in the bottom of the rod locker almost all the time, mm-hmm. other than like those rigid. 50 or water degree water below wintertime tournaments. There's always one tied on it. If I'm going to just have one tied on, um, you know, like we said, without just a generic setup tied on, I've got it on a seven foot heavy action uh, Veritas rod. It's got just enough tip to be able to roll cast, but it's got enough backbone that if you did have to throw it in a hairy situation, it'll do the job. Now, if I was like going to the Mississippi river and I was going to, a hundred percent frog is going to be a big part of the game plan. I'm going to rig up a couple of rods like we talked about, but kind of a generic go-to where, Hey, this looks froggy. Let me pull it out. You can just end up words. in the back of a pocket where it just looks right. Make a couple of casts and then keep on going down the bank or whatever. No doubt. I'm, yep. I'm the same way. Like I, I always have one tied up in the bottom of the locker and it's funny how often I pull it out. Um, and how often it doesn't work, but what's five cast though, right? Right. Exactly. Cause it's so fun when it does work and it's, it's such a cool bait. Cause you can, you can just cast it in the craziest spots and it comes walking on out, you know, it's amazing. What so. uh, does color play into it at all? I know it obviously seems Good counterintuitive question. cause they're coming through like all of the swampiness to eat it. So is like a darker color, a better idea is a lighter color, a better idea. Does it matter? I think you nailed it with that. It's a dark or a light. You know, there's times where you want a, a black one. There's some times where you want a, a white one. I mean, it's pretty, I don't think it's, I think the fancy colors on the top just caught you. And <laughs> yeah, right. It's all oh, about you know the what? silhouette. The one that looks exactly like a toad hopping around in the, the water collection. It'll catch them. Drained by your house. <laughs> I mean, it, it caught you first, but it'll That's catch right. the best second. So, it's, you know, if I had one color, it's black. I throw okay. the white when you're around a shad spawn or, or okay. if, if shad or just a really big thing. And <clears> then uh, in ultra, ultra clear water, they still like the black, but I will mix in like a, a natural bluegill color. Green. Um, yeah. uh-huh. Yep. Some type of green. And then, and lastly, the brown works really well too. A brown frog is another one where you're not maybe going to throw that in dirty water, but 
in most situations, the brown is almost That's like an Arizona special. <laughs> I tie that thing on, and it works. It just works really well, kind of everywhere. So I feel like top water in general is uh, you can make a you can go from having fish slapping at a bait to absolutely Eating swallowing it. it with a dark to light color change, one mm-hmm. way or the other. I mean, it seems like it's uh, more evident than a lot of baits. You know, we were talking about the crankbait, how they're you change a color to get them to eat it better, which I think that plays. But when it comes to a silhouette on the surface, I think it's even more Big important. Time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You're it. Well, I mean, if you think about a crankbait ripping by their face, that's reaction. And yeah. uh, dude, certain like a buzz bait's a reaction bite, but with a frog or a walking bait or a popper, dude, it's there for a long time. A bass to yeah. eat it and they're staring at it. So mm-hmm. absolutely. I think, you know, it does matter. You know, you don't have to, like you said, get all fancy with the color on the back, but definitely um you know the belly you know, make an adjustment if they're not eating it right it, it can pay off in this situation yeah. last thing i'll say too is um you know walking the the frog no matter what type of frog it definitely takes a little bit of practice it's it's like it's like walking a, a walking top water but just shorter shorter little pops and um you know, sometimes you want to walk it real slow and coax them. Sometimes you can move it across the surface and kind of skitter it across the surface um, pretty quick. So play with your different retrieves. And, uh, and again, we talked about the hookup thing being so important. You know, some people say set when you see them blow up. Some people say, wait till you see your line move. Um, some people count say to count, 17. To, count to a couple, two or three, and then set the hook. I pretty much am a guy that I see a blow up. I count to two and then set the hook. Um, they get it or they don't. And, um, I count to one and a half. There you go. That's where you, that's yeah. why you're not on the elite series. Yeah. I saw an interesting one where a guy said he reels down tight on him and then sets a hook and he feels like it positions a frog in their mouth correctly. That's cool. Which, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's some really, really cool YouTube videos on frog fishing hmm. and some dudes that absolutely can cast. So pretty impressive. Nice. Yeah. Are you talking about the one I made? Yes, that one. <laughs> yeah, yep. I'm a good caster. Well, when Don't you throw out a, a jerkbait rod, it's easy to make a good <laughs> caster. I almost used a Spider-Man rod, but it had a big tangle from the last time Claire used it, so I went for the jerkbait rod. That's fine. Yeah, that one's a little light action, but it's close. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. when you're like, you hook the live frog through the lips, you can get away with that. But if you're throwing the spro, you need more backbone. Could you imagine? Is that <laughs> a thing? Do people use live frogs anymore? <laughs> I don't know, but it would be so epic. Oh, God. Yeah, seriously. Is it legal? I have no idea. This is America, Probably. bro. Of course. <laughs> that would be crazy. Yes. I, it's the equivalent. I remember as a kid, I caught a grasshopper one time in Wyoming and used that as live bait on our little stream behind my house. And yeah, there's something about large, twitchy things on the surface that, you know, we were talking about how color, if they're not quite eating it good enough, might be just that adjustment. The ultimate adjustment is going to, large alive thrashing on the surface that's usually how they eat it best <laughs> yeah you want a good blow up that'll do it yeah imagine <laughs> the blow up on that thing dude have you guys i mean this is a stupid question to ask but it is a fishing podcast is there like one frog fish in particular that if you had to like in three seconds think of a fish you've caught like there was one meaningful one and i didn't catch it i was fishing as a co-angler at martinez and it was very early on and i knew 10 percent less than i know now because i still know nothing but I remember just seeing the, my boater just catch like a six pounder, but it was, it was like when great white sharks eat seals and they like knock them four feet into the air and then cannonball over them. I, I was affected by that. 
<laughs> you, that's awesome. It's it's a, it's funny how sometimes they'll do that, and then like we I sent it to you guys that one the, the heavy hitters fish that Brent Ayler caught over at Palestine. Just like a little suck pop, dude. It was just the most subtle. I mean, it was the coolest. <laughs> oh, it's so good ever, and it was an it was the biggest fish anyone caught all week. An absolute <laughs> giant, eight pounds. I had a five uh, like a five or six pounder do that the last day of the tournament, and uh, dude, I literally thought it was like a ten inch fish because it was such a subtle little uh-huh. like that, you know, and just like sipped it like a trout eating a fly, <laughs> and I set yeah. the hook, and uh, of course lost the fish, dude. And there was part of me that was like did I not set it the way I, uh-huh. I meant to set it? Cause I literally thought it was a dink. So I, dink. I didn't half ass it, but it yeah. was part of me after the fact, it was like, I might've been able to do a little bit better job if I would have thought it was a bigger fish, but hindsight's yeah. 20 and sometimes you lose them on a frog in general. But dude, I got one that um, I'll remember forever uh, as a failure. I was at the Sabine river and I had gone into a marsh and I probably told the story about this marsh on the podcast. I had, it was a very eventful time for me of the Sabine river getting <laughs> stuck in the marsh and, and destroying my very boat eventful. and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, long story short, that was in practice when I'd done that fast forward to the tournament, I get back into this marsh and it had been overgrown with moss and algae uh, over the month between pre-practice and the actual tournament. So I'm back there and I'm not really feeling it. And in the Sabine river in those tournaments, a two to three pounder is a big fish. Like it's 10 pounds a day puts you in the top 10 at the Sabine river every time. And, uh, usually about 13 pounds a day wins. And I'm back in there and, uh, I fish around the, the whole canal and I'm like, damn, I'm going to have to leave. I'm not going to be able to catch him back here. And I'm walking a frog and now it's like almost over open water close to get back to the boat and a five pounder eats it. And I said, oh. Look, and I can't believe how big it is. Dude, a five pounder of the Sabine is like big fish of the day. It, it's, a, it's a giant fish. And um, I get it most of the way back to the boat. It comes off, dude. And I, you lose a five pounder of the Sabine, you want to throw up dude you want to just throw up it's such a monumental loss and i got the frog (laughs) back into the boat and the hooks of the frog were like in the plastic Mm. like like they were bent in just enough that when the fish ate it it pushed the hooks into the plastic it was just hard to explain but since i mean i learned a real lesson that you know in that tournament and and since then i always bend the hooks out to where there's uh-huh. no not way out but to where there's no way that could ever happen that was a lesson learned the hard way and that was a popping <laughs> frog which they do stick in a little bit more to me on that popping frog so like there's a warning to everybody to always make sure those hooks are are not facing Clear. in you want them at least parallel to the plastic of the frog but not pointed in even in just the slightest bit uh, that was a painful fish loss <laughs> yeah that's terrible that's um, go ahead yeah no it was it was yeah i mean here we are almost 10 years later and i'm still uh hurt is that it, it's your you'll never Rico. forget it you'll never forget situations like that ever yeah and it was fish- just i could have probably avoided it anyways but yeah so frog fishing is so awesome let us all just lament about the big fish that we've lost on frogs but we've, <laughs> we've caught good ones too and it's and it's it is a great way to get a big bite you know so um 
moving uh moving on from there uh, i thought so the sad news in the fishing world was um the passing of ray scott you know i don't think we talked about it in the last podcast and ray scott really was kind of the godfather of tournament fishing um you know everyone knows who he is everyone knows what he's done he's done more for tournament fishing than anybody else i never got to meet him i didn't know him but um definitely respect everything he did for our sport and uh you know, basically all this probably doesn't exist without him, you know, in my opinion. So I figured to honor him a little bit, we would do some old school fishing trivia. Oh, um, look at this yeah. wild card. wasn't prepared for this. Yeah. You got to lose, Rob. Yeah, for sure. Nick's got the, uh, got the fishing trivia on lockdown here. He's got but the just... Google machine going. Never. <laughs> yeah. Totally <laughs> above board. Just a couple Never real did. basic questions, uh, but older ones. So, Ray Scott's first pro tournament. Do you remember what the tournament was and what year it was? Who's, Shoot, Rob was there. Let's closer to the year. <laughs> yeah. Rob was there. This isn't fair. I can't guess that. Rob was there fishing out of a butt seat. <laughs> um, Roll cast uh, in a spinner bay. I should know this. It had to be in – You were there. Uh, yeah, right. It had to be in 65. I'm just going to guess. It's a great guess. What's your guess, Nick? Well, I could tell you probably the tow vehicle he was using was a three-quarter ton K20 regular cab long bed Chevy truck. Um, But then I'm thinking that... Was it new? And what year was it? Yeah, it was two (laughs) years old. Ray was pretty thrifty. You know, he understood the (laughs) proper dynamics of newish car shows. (laughs) Anyways, it was a 64. And uh, this is like the price is right where you bet $1 to undercut everyone else. I'm thinking Rob went too new, so I'm gonna go with 64. That's terrible, dude. I should have let you answer first. <laughs> I know, oh no, yeah, you know what? Because no one knows what that answer would have been. That would have been great. Uh, yeah, so I just, I Nick just could be like 89. <laughs> I just boxed Rob out on this rebound, so I'll go ahead you and gather up all my crumbs here. Did right. you ask where and when, or just when? Well, yeah, just when, you know, because I know there'd be how the hell are you gonna guess where, right? Uh, it was twin. It was in Alabama, Alabama. somewhere. It was 1967, oh, Beaver Lake. So you guys it. were close. Arkansas. Rob was close. Northwestern uh, Arkansas. Arkansas. $100 entry fee. 106 100 boats bucks. showed up. Yep, so 100 bucks back wow. then was a lot, dude. Um, yeah, what a show. From all over too, right? Yes, and it was, it was called an All-American Bass Tournament. So yep. um, there's way, way more details. That's just what I had jotted down, but – um, so 67 to now it's been, you know, over, what is that? Over 60 years, 65 years of tournament fishing. No, 55 years of tournament fishing. Um, what was, I've got a question. What was Ray's occupation at that point? Oh, that's a great question. I got to go in and read. I don't, do you know? Mm-hmm. Of course he does. Oh, Cause okay. he's asking us. So reversal, Josh, you answer first and then I'm going to box you out. I'm going to guess he, um, gosh, auctioneer. Oh, that's a, that's a wild card. Dang. <laughs> Nick. Okay. I, I, I'm speechless with auctioneer. That was pretty good. I, <laughs> he I would be the, good at it. The, yeah. He would. The first thought that came to my mind is extremely inappropriate and not able okay. to be set up on the podcast. So Imagine I would say that. he just passed out some glass. That he was a dentist. No. Insurance salesman. Nice, <laughs> 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 That's good. Nice. Yep. Oh. Um, well, that's cool, man. Um, okay. The next one, what year was the first bass boat made 
And hmm. who was it? Rob Did knows we ask this, this one. on the podcast before. Probably, but we're on episode like 140. We've covered everything twice, so fear not. Nick, you got to go first on this. Okay. Um, when was the first bass boat created? Yeah. Well, I mean, Jesus recruited disciples and they were tilapia fishermen in a canoe, so we could go way back. But I'm thinking um, 60, I'm going to say 70. He needed three years to get the industry rip-roaring before he could get a prototype bass boat out there. Rob? Wow. Yeah, I'll go with 69. Ah, how the tables have turned. Well, according to Google, Skeeter in 1948 had a bass boat. So I think they were already by the time, you know, Ray had put that tournament on, there were probably a few different. That's true. They probably weren't paddling like open water kayaks or anything like that. I don't know if they had troll motors uh, at that point or not. It'd be interesting to know. That was the non-boaters job. Looked like. Oh, Rob Rob is using offensive hand language right now. It's a good thing. This is an audio podcast, not a visual because he's rubbing in how many I've missed to him. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, and then the last one was, um, what year was Bass Pro Shops? What, did they open the first Bass Pro Shops? Well, there had to be Bass Pros to have a shop for them to house under. So, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent certain it was sixty-one. Uh, I'm going to go with nineteen. I meant eighteen sixty-one. Nineteen eighty. Well, you guys, hey, you're a good team because if you split it right in the middle, <laughs> 1972, uh, oh. Johnny Morris, the famous story, he had a little eight-foot, eight-square-foot section in his dad's liquor store, <laughs> and uh, that was that was it, dude, and the rest is history. It's ridiculous to see how far it's come starting from that. Pretty cool, but yeah, Bro. 1972. I didn't realize it started in a liquor store. That makes me think of how we were joking about losing frogfish and it's uncle Rico from Napoleon dynamite throwing footballs into a camcorder thinking about what could have been. That's like the perfect spot to sell it as an alcohol store after you've gotten your ass kicked and caught nothing and you're going to starve that evening. You can at least go drink your dinner and buy some more hooks. Yeah. Double it up, man. Get some tackle for the next tournament and then go drink. your <laughs> That's perfect. Yep. You know, Johnny Morris was right in the mix with all these guys when Bass started. Um, I believe he qualified for like five or six different Bassmaster Classics. And like he was right in the mix with Bill Dance and Roland Martin and all those guys. I don't think a lot of people realize that. But. Yeah, and he's, it's been overshadowed by what he's done with the store. That's yeah. a great point, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. The whole story is amazing. And it's hilarious. I know I've talked about it before, but to watch him interact with his old boys from the day fishing. You know, when awesome. he – very politically he loved, correct. Bill Dan, yeah, exactly. Bill Dance, Roland Martin, Jimmy Houston, those guys, and, and Johnny, they love to give each other a hard time. And it's always the highlight of any event when they all get the microphone and just start roasting each other. It's so funny. <laughs> think, of, think of, like, all we can hope for in this life is to get to that point where, like, all of us are at that age. And Rob and I make fun of Josh for, you know, 40 years of, above average slightly professional fishing i can make fun of rob for a career of guiding luckily i will have lived a perfect life and there will be next to no material for you guys to roast me on but i really look forward to roasting you hard 30 years from now it's gonna be good 
show up you give for a thirty years. Rob, you got at least twenty nine. Maybe I hope. Man, but just uh, I don't mean to just crack jokes at everything you did there for him. It's it's cool like to think like how one person can have one idea that like it's like that seed it just grows into something so massive to what the industry and the group of people, you know, the community of bass fishing, it's crazy, man. It's like how a huge Oak tree starts out as an acorn, right? Like that dude just planted one acorn with an idea. And now there's sure. this massive, how many hundreds of millions or multi-million dollar a year industry tournaments, circuits, like boats, tackle, you name it all came from just that like little gathering in 1967. That's a, it's a great point. Yeah. I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know if he ever thought it had this, this much potential or not, but um, you know, how could you predict it's going to turn into what it did, man? Pretty crazy. Some people say that about this podcast. We're still waiting <laughs> exactly, to see. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you definitely, well, you definitely don't have the equipment you have uh-huh. today w- without tournaments. I mean, it's like auto racing. You don't have, the refined automobiles without auto racing. And I don't think people realize that part, right? That's where the R and D happens, right? Like right there on the cutting edge of like performance and yeah, that's where it all comes from. It's a good point. These guys are taking it to the next level because they want to make money using the stuff, you know, and (laughs) it trickles down to, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. It's, it's trickled down and we all catch even when we're going fun fishing, we're probably catching more fish because he decided to have a bass fishing tournament. And then clearly that there was like an audience, an untapped audience that was like, yes, this is a good idea. And and he was like, obviously way forward thinking with conservation, right? Cause that was kind of the era of like put 43 fish on a hook and then stand for your glory photo at the end of the day. But was able to see the value of like if you catch this fish a hundred times in its life, it's way more valuable than dinner one time. And, that's an abstract concept. Having fished in other countries and introduced, even in this country, introducing non-fishing people to fishing, that concept alone is is a hard one to wrap your mind around. So think of what a visionary he was in that yeah. respect. Well, that's a good, and it's a good point, but it also brings up a question. I don't know if he um, really implemented catch and release, how early he did that. I've, so that's something we need to, do you think that was Well, him? when I read the bio on him from... Uh, um, best on tour it talked about i think he was kind of the pioneer of like live wells and that was a requirement okay. in his tournaments that like you know boats had to have aerated live wells and stuff like cool. that if i'm wrong then that was a waste of oxygen like everything no, else. no that's say. cool well, i'm no, they, pretty sure they actually stood on the shores of one of the lakes and they were going to have a fist fight with the <laughs> the local authorities because because those people didn't want them to release the fish back into the water because those fish were supposedly tainted or whatever because they oh, were caught yeah. And he literally was going to have like fight these guys and, and basically said, whatever you say, it doesn't matter. We're going to release the fish. So, yeah, so I think yeah, about no, he's that definitely too. the pioneer of, of what, of catch and release and conservation wow. and at least from a bass quality. fishing perspective. Right. I mean, yes. like he, and bass fishing is probably like maybe not the most yeah. involved in money generating industry and fishing, but it's right there in the big three. If it's not, yeah. He also, um, I mean, there was tournaments prior to him holding a tournament. There was other circuits, but he made sure. it to where it was, um, more legitimate Mainstream. and less, well, less cheating. Cause b- prior to him starting, it was, you know, dudes cheating with, you know, tied up fish and not that, that doesn't still happen, but 
not at that level it doesn't so and he, sure. he just cleaned up the sport i guess so pretty cool yeah, yeah. that's awesome uh, well, hey, so we are implementing something new also uh, this week. You know, Nick, I think Nick had recommended that I check this book out, uh, Close Calls, the Steve Ranella Close Calls book, the Mediator Close Calls book. And it was an awesome book to, I listened to it on Audible, but something that they don't really have a lot of stories on are fishermen with near death, death experiences or close calls on the water. So, you know, at, we always just talking around the campfire and stuff. We're telling stories. Um, our good buddy, Gerald Sporer has a couple of the best that I've ever heard. And uh, he was telling me these are our last tournament and uh, we're going to have him on to tell these stories here to uh, wrap this episode up. They were pretty awesome. Um, and I think you guys will enjoy that. So we'll swing it over to him in a minute. The last thing I wanted to talk about was, um, had I told you guys the story, uh, Justin Lucas's uh, doc story from our last tournament? No. This was funny, and, and we'll leave you guys with this one when we wrap up our segment here. But um, you know, you guys know dock fishing is one of those things that um, as you go around the country, you get different reactions from dock owners and homeowners around the lake as you are fishing near their docks, right? Like some places – they hate it. Some places they love it. You know, I had over at Lake of the Ozarks, I had really good experiences. I had um, one little stretch of docks that these guys, there were like five houses in a row where diehard fishermen lived and they were in a good creek. And this creek actually was the curse of me in the tournament. I, I can't remember if I talked about it or not, but I go into this creek and um it's way far from everything else you know on the lower end of the lake this is up in that that arm that i got sucked into but going to this creek and behind every one of these docks these guys had put out so much brush and so much habitat that uh dude it was like a perfect environment for fish i go down this thing and practice two five pound bites um first day of the tournament go in there uh catch a five pounder catch a three pounder and, and these guys, every time, like, they were out, like, chit-chatting, like, cheering me on. Like, they were so stuck. Well, how I'm like, excited were they, dude? I the wish every their backyard. Exactly. I was like, I wish every creek on the lake had – what made it perfect was there was five in a row, right? It's not just uh -huh. like there was one. There was 100 yards of bank that was just a candy land for bass. Um, so that was a good experience, right? These guys were like, oh, come on in. One of them, actually, the one in the tournament, dude, I was – I, I hang this fish, catch it. I'm way, I skip way up under the, the walkway of the dock over the cable and the fish eats it. I set the hook and he's, he gets stuck in the crappie. It's a, they're in crappie pipes and he's stuck in there. And I'm like, dude, do you mind if I go over your cable? And he's like, no, go, go, go. So I literally just take the boat right over this guy's cable. Whereas same thing most people would have freaked out if you take your boat over their dock cable. Um, so great experience. And I get it. And he's, he's stoked and everyone's stoked, but um, for an opposite story of that, um, Justin is fishing and he is sitting behind between two docks and he hears it's, it's dead silent. You know, he's trying to sight fish for a fish. It's quiet. It's no wind blowing. And all of a sudden right next to him, he hears, don't touch my dock. And <laughs> he's looking and he can't 
see anyone. He's like, who said that? And all of a sudden he hears, don't touch my dock again. And uh, he looks and and he realizes there's a speaker on on his dock. And they're talking from the house. And he looks up and he looks up into the window of the house and like the blinds are like shaking. Like someone hit like (laughs) jumped out of the hole. <laughs> so and he goes, "What the?" And he says, like to himself, he's like, "What the heck? I'm not even touching your dock." Like, and he is, "Yes, you are. Don't touch my oh, dock." They can hear him too. <laughs> they can hear him, and uh, he goes, "I'm not touching your dock." And she says it one more time, "Don't touch my dock." So some miserable lady is inside her house, just barking at people all day long. In the next, on the next dock over, there's a lady. Um, and I don't know what she's doing. She's like either in her yard or on the dock. And she's like, hey, it's okay. You can come tie up to my dock. I don't care. She does that all the time, you know? So this awesome. She knows uh, that there's a miserable lady, you know, but imagine oh. living on Lake of the Ozarks where you have people dock fishing all day, every day. And you're literally yeah. going to sit in your house and yell at people through a speaker. Yeah. It's yeah. one way to live 70 years on this planet. That's for sure. <laughs> He should have tried to have a conversation with her. Just start talking nonsense. It would yeah. have been hilarious. He should have brought up politics, right? That's usually when you meet someone yeah. like that and you want yeah. some entertainment, go right for it. Religion <laughs> or politics, just go for it. Take a stab. Argue with her. Yeah. <laughs> she was ready, dude. She was hot right from the get-go. Just pissed uh, off. So thought it was pretty too funny. Bad. Was his bedfish as hot and pissed off as the lady who owned the dock? Uh, that's a good question. I don't even know if he caught the fish. It was He couldn't wait to tell me uh, <laughs> what happened, dude. It was, it was classic. Uh, but um anyways i uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show uh nick hope you have safe travels uh you know over the next week i'm sure we'll talk to you while you're back there and rob hope uh, you have good fishing this week i think uh everyone enjoyed gerald's story so um you guys have a great week and here's gerald all right guys y'all know my buddy gerald sporer he's a major league fishing bass pro tour pro um super outdoorsman and uh, just a great guy we were sitting around the dinner table a couple weeks ago just telling these stories and uh gerald knocked my socks off with a couple of them so um he's got to share them with you guys first uh gerald uh i well we better say hi what's going on your way dude oh nothing man i'm in the middle of driving through new orleans right now headed down to venice louisiana awesome man right on. well we appreciate you taking the uh time to to hop on and um you know we've had you on the podcast before this one's this is gonna be a little different just because um i know you got a lot going on today and uh we already recorded a lot of the intro but these stories are uh, are pretty interesting so how about you start with the story about i guess you were duck hunting yeah yeah well, well just so everyone understands i, I had suggested to josh oh you're gonna take credit for this no, I I suggested to Josh about <laughs> about uh, these 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 podcast. I mean, about doing a close call show for for his podcast, and uh, I didn't think it was going to be me that was going to have to tell my stories. But I just <laughs> gave a couple examples, and the next thing you know, he's like, "Hey, man, you want to do it?" And I was like, because they're partially embarrassing. Good. Like stories you tell whenever you're. Uh, whenever you're in private with your buddies or whatever, but you don't really want to put them out there. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, to be a really, really badass captain, and I consider myself a really good captain, like an offshore fishing captain in the, in the ocean. 
Yeah. Um, and and, and to, to get to the level of that, of being a really good captain where you're confident that you okay with having everyone's lives in your hand and, uh, and running a, a you know, a, a, a big fishing operation out of Venice, uh, you have to go through some trials and tribulations. So I think, it, you know, to that, that whole Instagram page, the qualified captain, you see all those guys doing all these things and we think it's funny, but those are all lessons learned. <laughs> You're totally <laughs> to right. Make, to make you, so I was like, man, maybe I ought to share some of my stories. Uh, it might put some things in perspective for people to, what not to do in these situations. It's a great way to put it. And listen, you were, dude, you were young in both of these stories, right? Yeah, like we've all done exactly. so much dumb stuff when we were younger. And now I'm probably the most responsible captain I know. Like I have tons of safety devices and stuff. I have life rafts and EPIRBs and Garmin inreaches. And I have every safety thing that you can imagine on my boat uh, just because of all these life lessons. So they're funny now only because no one got hurt. So we'll just yes. go ahead and put this out there. <laughs> Thank you, man. Hey, that's a perfect disclaimer. way to phrase it. The attorneys at the yeah. Angler's Happy Hour appreciate that. So that's good. Now everyone will click OK to view the graphic content, and then you can yeah. share the graphic content. All right. All right. We'll start out with uh, – and I have – I've only told Josh a few of them. But we'll start out with a couple I told Josh already because uh, nice. you guys haven't heard them. And they were like some of my, I guess, biggest near-death experiences – personally that I've experienced in a boat and a lot of reasons we get to this point these learning lessons in life is because we don't respect it and um, the first thing I didn't respect was fog and down in south Louisiana we have tons of fog because we get these cold river systems like the Mississippi River and a Chafalaya River and stuff like that that are still cold and then Louisiana get to 90 degrees with 60 degree water temperature in some of our major tributaries so you get this crazy fog that you've never seen before and um and so one time me and my buddy decided to go duck hunt so we don't even think about man maybe just not having any experience at all with with doing things on our own because we were just kids that started just got our driver's licenses just got uh, a little boat that we can go duck hunting, duck hunting on, and we're just going to do our own thing for the first time. Usually, someone did all the thinking for us, and so we never thought about all the possibilities. So we get to the boat ramp, and we got all our duck hunting decoys, our shotguns, the boat. We got this little bitty 14-foot boat with a 25 tiller handle, with like a little six, seven, eight-gallon gas tank in the back, with a little primer bulb. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, oh, yeah, no flotation in the boat at all. Um, just a little basic John boat that we probably all started fishing out of. We, we got it loaded down. I mean, tons of decoys. Um, I'm sure we had a nice chest full of beverages in there. We had so we, we get fully suited and we put our waders on. And we were we were thinking, like, man, if we fall out of the boat, it's gonna be really hard to swim. With full with a full set of waders on, so we was we already had had that conversation, just because when we were putting them on at the boat ramp, it was kind of like you know it was more comfortable to be in your waders because we had a little bit of a run to make. 
so we were doing it for warmth. We were doing it for just a combination of warmth and the boat was all wet. You didn't want to get your butt wet when you were sitting in the boat. So you just put your waders on. And then we got to cross this big river, the Chafalaya River. And we, we don't really, this boat hasn't been ran in a while. Um, you know, so we don't take the same attention to detail that we would if we was going to fish a bass tournament now, where we make sure all our stuff's dialed in and our maintenance is done and everything. I can't remember when the last time this thing was run. We just grab it and go. So we launched a boat and uh, parked a truck and we're, we're all excited, you know, we run down to the boat and we get in it. And we, the boat ramp is basically right in the river, uh, with like just a little canal that dips off of it. So we, we prime the bulb up, the motor fires right off. And I don't know if it was just because I had a little bit of, uh, a little bit of fuel in the carburetor and it was just enough to get the motor started right away. And we started crossing the river in the fog. And I told my buddy, I said, I know exactly, I can run around that Chafalaya spillway with my eyes closed, I literally could. I did not need to see to make my way around there. I knew it that well. And uh, I said, I know exactly where to go. I'm not worried about this fog. And he's like, all right. And I said, just kind of cross it about this angle across the river and there's a little, there's a little cut to a pipeline over there. We're gonna run down that pipeline. He said, all right, I got it. So we go to cross the river and um, all of a sudden that little motor dies on that John boat. And they got pretty good current flowing down this thing. So immediately I'm thinking, dang, this is, we have no control right now. We're probably drifting about as fast as you would if you lost power on the St. Lawrence River. I mean, it's that much current in here. We're rolling. My buddy's back there. I'm like, hey, man, you better get this thing started. We're going to run up into the bank or something. That's all I was thinking about. And we can't see anything. It's, I mean, it's zero visibility fog. And you know you're in the middle? And I, 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 could, I, I could feel the distance that we left the shoreline. I knew we was about in the middle, you know. Because, uh, I, like I said, I've, I've done this so many times. I've crossed this river so many times. I knew about the distance we traveled that we was about in the middle. Um, but I couldn't see anything. So my buddy's back there. He's squeezing that primer bulb. And if, I, if y'all could see me right now, if I, if I was on video, he was just, you could see the, uh, how he, he was sitting there pulling that pull rope. Like, vroom, 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 vroom. <laughs> and, and he would squeeze the bulb and vroom, 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 vroom. he's pulling it. And I'm like, man, you better get that thing started. I said, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, there's some jetties down there. I'm thinking of some other things that we're going to possibly drift into. And uh, he's squeezing, he's pulling, he's squeezing, he's pulling. And I'm like, son of a gun. And I said, we ain't got no trolling motor on this thing. I said, how far are we going to drift? in the blind before we finally can stop, you know? And I'm thinking he's not gonna get it started. Uh, he pulls on this thing for five minutes at least. I mean, it's a while, seemed like forever. Well, all of a sudden I can hear something coming and then it hit me. I was like, dude, we got a barge coming. Oh. And this, and the barges down there are giant. I mean, they're triples and doubles, and they're hundreds of yards long, and they're pushing them at high rates of speed to push up against that current and stuff. Everyone's seen these giant barges out on these big river systems. It's as big as they get, and I can hear him. And I know 
he sees me on his radar. And so he starts blowing his horn. And I'm like, holy crap. And that, ho that, that horn sounded like he was already on top of us. And I'm thinking, man, dude, I said, I don't know what to do. We don't have anything to paddle the boat or anything. We're just like, I, didn't, I was about to take my waders off and just dive in and start swimming some <laughs> direction. And, and, and my buddy's just back there to the rate of speed of him trying to start that motor. When he was just about worn out, when we heard that fog horn, he's got another burst of energy. He's squeezing that bulb and <laughs> squeeze the bulb and he's pulling it, pulling it, pulling it. And then all of a sudden, this big giant floodlight comes off on the barge and he's trying to shine it down to see what he's about to run over. Because oh. he can see me on radar, but we still can't see him. But when he turns his floodlight on, we knew that we was about to be dead. He was about to run us over. And then right whenever we could feel the front wake, like those barges push like a front wake, right whenever we could feel that front wake starting to push our little boat, my buddy got that little boat fired up. He squeezed that bow and he, whoa, 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 that thing got sideways on us. We almost flipped it right there because he was putting his hand on the throttle. And it, wow, and we skirted out of there. <laughs> <laughs> the nick of time, dude. Uh, and I, I don't think I had ever been so close to death in my life. And that really made me respect fog. And I was like, man, we're never doing that again. That was crazy. And, uh, of course, we laughed about it right then. But now that I look back at it, I was like, dude, that was a really scary moment. Um, <laughs> how close Insane. Insane. So did you guys go duck hunting or did you go clean your waders out? We ended up still going duck hunting, made it to nice. the duck hole, got our decoys out, and we shot two ducks. <laughs> that's awesome. But that's, that's, uh, that... that's kind of like how motivated kids are about going out there and doing their own thing when they first kind of break out underneath their parents' wings. But uh, if anything, you could teach your kids whenever they start doing their own thing is just reiterate how important it is and why it's important to think about these certain things, these precautions and stuff. And nowadays, if I'm like, if I, if, if I had kids going to the boat ramp, I'm like, if it's foggy, you're not going. Do not leave that boat ramp if it's yeah. foggy, period. Seriously. We have rules in, place, rules in place around that, around bass fishing. We don't leave. We have fog delays and everything. Um, if you, like we, we, we run fog when we're running the offshore boats, but we have radar. If you have radar and you're experienced with radar, you know, it's still sketchy, but we, it's, you know, we can, we have things, precautions that we take to run it but, and it's safe. But with no radar, you should not leave the dock in a foggy situation. Man, how far out does that radar shoot? Like, how far could you see something if it was in the river? Man, so when I run radar on the offshore boat, we run the Mississippi River out to the Gulf of Mexico. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> to the Gulf of Mexico, I usually, uh, these radars now, you can put it on two channels where it'll split the screen, and I can zoom one in and zoom one out. And I'll usually set, uh, set the radar to one mile or two mile. Huh. distance on one 
and then I'll put the other one to an eighth or a quarter. And uh, that way I have a really zoomed in version and a, and a little bit of a zoomed out version. And I can see when I start approaching something and then start slowing down or doing whatever to, to get out of whatever's way. Uh, so That's good. If, like, Makes I, sense. I mean, you can, you can expand. My radar has got like a 40 or 50 mile range on it. That's crazy. So, yeah, yeah that, that one boat saw you a ways out, but – Dude, he was on top of you when you finally got the motor started. It's amazing. Right. I think yeah. some of the s- scariest moments are in a bass boat in fog when, because some, something could hit you from every direction or you run into something. I mean, sure. it's, it's one of the most helpless feelings ever. So. so, yeah, that was probably my closest call as far as dying. Seriously. Well, dude, thanks for sharing. There's so many good lessons to take out of that one. And then uh, this other one is a little wackier. Um, it's definitely on a lighter note. And thankfully, everyone ended up being okay. But let's tell the story about your fountain boat. Oh, oh man. So that one's the more embarrassing one because I was a little <laughs> bit older. But that doesn't mean I was any smarter. I was probably like 20, 25. Uh, and, you know, that was just to the point where you thought you know, that was the age where you think you know it all, but you're probably the most dangerous because you really still don't know nothing. (laughs) Nice, Uh, yeah. You know, just enough to get yourself really in trouble. So um, that's whenever I was not totally focused on bass fishing for that moment in my life. And and I thought it was more fun to uh, have a big powerboat so I had a really good job at a young age. I was working in the oil and gas industry, and I was making six figures when I was 25 years old. Um, I had a good trade, and I was making a lot of money. So, you know, I wasn't wisely spending it. The first thing I went, and, one of the first things I went and bought was a uh, 32-foot fountain fever, <laughs> like cigarette boat. Yeah, dude. What color was it? It was white, um, and it had, like, some graphics on it and stuff, you know. But we we would go do poker runs. We'd go to the river every weekend. And, you know, it was just a whole lot of wild irresponsibility, to be honest with you. Sure. <laughs> but it was fun. We had some fun. Um, so we had the bright idea. We had a me and a few of my buddies, we all had our own boats. Like, that was the thing. You get your boat, I got my boat, we're going to run with a little group, and we do these poker runs and stuff. Well, somebody had the bright idea of going to uh, to Biloxi, Mississippi, where the Hard Rock Casino used to throw this big pool party every Sunday. And uh, they actually called it the name of the pool party from Hard Rock Casino is called Detox. And it's basically nice. everyone partying on Friday and Saturday night. And Sunday, you just kind of go and have like this Sunday after party at the pool at Hard Rock Casino in Biloxi on the beach. Really cool place. Really wild. I don't think Hard Rock Casino did it very long because it was too out of control. I can imagine. So we decided how cool would it be if we brought our uh, brought our big power boats down there, backed them up to the pool, tied them all off, and then had to, had to, went to the pool party just to kind of show off 
and um, it, and so we loaded up all the boats. We drove them down there by trailer. We launched them all down there. We drove them around the corner, and we we wasn't even planning on really running them. We just wanted them there for show. Chicks dig boats. Chicks dig boats, and so I learned a valuable lesson about that uh, that that day. Uh, so we 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 tied all our boats up. We were like, all right, they're just for show. You know, we got a hotel rooms. Everyone have a good time. Boats aren't going anywhere from there for show. Well, it didn't take long before somebody approached me. Actually, somebody approached my buddy and said, hey, is that y'all's boats? And my buddy was like, heck yeah, that's our boats. And uh, he said, well, I'll give y'all a $1,000 Hard Rock Casino poker chip if you take all the cheerleaders from the Saints cheerleading squad out there and they want to go skinny dipping. My buddy was like, well, that's a no-brainer. Take a thousand bucks to take the whole NFL Saints cheerleading squad skinny dipping out in the Gulf of Mexico. So they, he come, he's frantically looking for me by the pool, and he finds me. He's like, dude, I got to tell you about this deal. And uh, he tells me, and I was like, well, how many people is it? And he said, uh, he's like, it's like 16 girls and two dudes. And I was like, all right, well, we're gonna need another boat. Because whenever I first bought my fountain, it was a 32 fountain fever was the model. The 32 fountain fever, from what I understood, almost put fountain out of business years ago because it was famous for sinking. Oh, geez. And you look at a 32 foot boat, and you're like, that, that's a big boat. It'd be really hard to, you'd have to like run the thing into the rocks to sink it. Well, I, even though I was 25, I wasn't that stupid. I was still really good with them. Um, so I'm, I was confident in my ability to operate the boat. But everyone told me, they said, that you're only in danger of sinking that boat when you overload it. And the reason that overloading it was important because they had two blower holes out of the engine compartments that were just above the waterline. And they were about four inches in diameter a piece. Well, they designed it really bad where the boat set too low in the rear in the back of the, in the back of the boat. So if you put like 15 people on this boat, then those blower, those, those blower holes would go below the waterline and would start filling up your engine compartment. It's like putting two four inch holes in your boat. And I was just like, people told me this, and I was just like, I, I'll, I'll just make sure we never put that much, that many people on the boat. We'll have like six to eight people max. Sure. Well, this day, uh, everyone got so out of control. Anyway, so we had to split the group up, because I knew right ahead, I was like, I'm not putting any more than 10 would be the absolute max, because they're girls and they're, they're, they're lighter than dudes, so we'll go with sure. 10. <laughs> it's like seven so, dudes. Uh. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, so we, we tell the other boat. It's like, man, all y'all got to ride on the on the other boat, and uh, they end up with most of the dudes and some of the girls, and and, but he had a pile of people on his. He probably had at least twelve or thirteen on his, but his was 
his was his could fit more. His was, a, his was like a 36 foot Baja, and he was able to fit more people on it. Well, <laughs> we get to running offshore. Everyone's all situated. I make sure I got all my life jackets. He's got all his life jackets. We're thinking of the basic safety precautions. And we're like, man, let's just run these girls out to this island out here and let them do their thing, come back, and then we're going to gamble this $1,000 poker chip at the blackjack table and have a good time. We had it all planned out, simple. Nice. So this was kind of early in the day, so no one was drunk or anything like that. Um, but everyone was really excited, especially the seven or eight dudes on the other boat. And um, we're cranking the music up. We're running side by side out there, playing some old Miami Vice songs and stuff. Everyone's all fired up. And then also my buddy with the other boat, he had his wife with him. And his wife started fussing at him about, it's too rough. We don't need to go any further. So he like waves at me to shut down. And I was like, all right, we'll shut down. But as soon as we stopped, everyone was like communicating between the two boats. And while we're communicating, all them dudes jumped off of that other boat and started just bombarding my boat, swimming oh. to it. Because they was trying to get to all those girls. Well, immediately i'm like no 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 no, no nobody else on the boat well, we're in three foot waves offshore because that's why we stopped in the first place because it's rough and i'm trying to like stop all these dudes that didn't care what i had to say with all the music playing loud and everything else i mean this happened so fast it was unbelievable how fast it was all these dudes swam over to my boat and piled up on the swim platform and it took me about a minute to organized the chaos needless to say and i was like y'all got to get off this boat i can't have this many people in this boat i just knew that about this uh manufacturing deep defect that where these blower holes were going to be underneath the water and then and then while i'm trying to do it the boat's going around so now i got a following sea hitting me in the rear of the boat where the blower holes are. So I have three foot waves just hitting the swim platform while these guys are trying to climb up on the back and everything else. And uh, in the one minute that it took me to get everyone off the back of my boat, I'd already taken on probably over a hundred gallons wow. of water. And at this point I realized now everyone has to get off my boat. All these girls are in my boat. This NFL football season starts in a week. And they all have these fresh weaves in their hair. And they're, I mean, they're decked out. Spray tanned up. They wasn't planning on getting <laughs> in the water at all. And I'm like, you, hey, you got to get out of the boat. And they're like, I ain't getting out of this boat. I was like, you, I said, you don't have a choice. You have to get out of this boat. And so I'm arguing with all these girls while the boat's sinking. And, and, uh, and, Finally, I started like yelling and kind of like shoving them off. Get off of the boat. And I started throwing life. When I started throwing life jackets out in the water, they knew I was serious. And uh, so next thing you know, we got all these girls swimming around out there trying to like swimming around the Gulf of Mexico, <coughs> trying to get rescued. And I'm just thinking, man, I've taken on too much water. And I go to lift my hatch to see my, my whole engine compartment in the back to see how much water I've taken on because my first response was I need to get the bow into the waves. I need to be heading into a head sea and let the bilge pumps pump this stuff out and uh, and get them blower holes behind me. 
Well, I couldn't get the engine started because of the batteries and everything were underneath the water. So I'm like, man, what's the problem? So I go to barely crack my engine compartment hatch to, to see how much, like, how much water I have taken on. And at this point, the boat is so low to the water that when I crack the engine compartment hatch, one good three-footer comes over to the engine compartment and goes inside the hatch and everything. And at huh. that point, I knew I was done. Wow. I had no power. And I had probably several hundred gallons in the rear of this boat. My engines were underwater that fast. And so at this point, I'm thinking, man, it's done. The boat's about to sink. And so everyone scattered around, the other boats going around picking up all these Saints cheerleaders and everything. And I'm thinking, man, how can I like salvage this thing last minute? Um, I was like, I need the truck keys because the truck keys yep. are in there. There's a couple key items. I run in there and I grab some bags. I start throwing bags out. And then I pull out my anchor rope and I tie a hundred foot anchor rope with a, uh, with a dock buoy. Um, tie it to the bow, climb up there to the bow, the boat's starting to like lean forward. I mean, like the back's going down and I'm up there hugging the nose of this thing, trying to tie a rope to it and uh, get a rope tied to it. And I'm like, all right, worst case scenario, we should be able to find it because I knew we wasn't very deep, even though it was about three miles offshore, it wasn't very deep. I said, we'll at least be able to find the boat with this buoy. And uh, told my buddy to mark a waypoint. So we got a waypoint at least got everything out. I remember jumping out of the boat. And at this point, when I jumped out of the boat, the fuel, because the boat was full of gas and it, the fuel was so bad around the boat that it was burning my eyes swimming through the fuel. Um, and I swam back to his boat and I was just thinking, I can't believe that just happened. Like that fast, that boat went down and, and I just started replaying all the stories in my head about everyone saying, don't buy a 32 foot pounds fever they'll sink to the bottom in a heartbeat. And I usually don't tell this story because it's, it's, it's pretty embarrassing, but now I guess I'm old enough in life. I'm 40 now. I'm old enough in life where uh, it's better just to, for my own humility, just to tell stories. If someone can learn a lesson from it, it's better just to tell the story. Uh, but, but anyway, I went back and uh, to, to the marina over there and, in Biloxi and I, I went to the salvage yard. Thank goodness I was able to find some divers and it cost me five grand. And I had that boat on the trailer that night. They actually recovered it within like 12 hours. How did they go about, how deep was it? Man, it ended up only being like 25 foot deep right there. Uh, even because if you look at the, the Gulf Coast, when you get around that part all the way to Florida, they have a really flat shelf uh, till it gets to the shelf or whatever. But um, what do they yeah, do? Like airbag it up? They airbagged it exactly, and then they towed it in um, and and uh, got it on a trailer. But tomorrow the story is is whenever. You feel like you're about to do something that's probably not a good idea, but you, but you let peer pressure from women and buddies influence you to do something bad. <laughs> if, you're, if you're thinking that this
this is a bad idea, there's more than likely it's a bad idea. You probably just shouldn't do it. And uh, so that was my other really bad experience with a boat. But thank goodness no one got hurt in either situation. Um, and the Saints leaders went on to start the season. They won the first game. And I just remember watching the first game going, thank goodness there's cheerleaders down there. Were you were you liable for the spray tans by chance? I, I'm sure that they they was thinking that when they had to go re spray tan. It's <laughs> a crazy deal, dude. It's but hey, you know, even though yeah, you know, you you did you did the basics right before everyone got on the boat. You made sure there was a life jacket for everybody, and even stuff like, dude. I mean, imagine if that boat other boat wouldn't have been there, and you didn't have life jackets, right? Like, I mean, you at least had. You you were you were prepared for something to happen, and, and you made it out old, okay. I was old enough to at least be smart enough to be prepared. Uh, and you know, another thing is we always get harassed by game wardens and coast guard on the water, and everyone gets so frustrated. Like, why are they messing with me? But the fear of possibly being checked was enough to make sure that I had my safety stuff on the boat. And so whenever you're out there thinking, like, man, I can't believe this game warden's going to pull up and he wants to see my whistle and my throwable cushion and all these little things that we probably think are silly, just to keep, just to keep that presence on the water and to keep people in check saves a lot of people's lives. Yep. Um, and so, you know, there's, there was other little things over the years that I was like, man, I was an idiot for doing that. I was an idiot for not having this. Or, and now you traveled with me for how many? This was this four years now, Josh. We've been traveling yeah. together. Yeah. Do you know anybody more prepared than me on the road? This guy is so prepared; it's actually uh, unbelievable. Like James at our last tournament. James had accidentally thrown his phone away. Again, I've talked about this before, the things that he throws away. And when he threw it away, it went in the trash with a bunch of bacon grease. And over the course of the next couple of days, the bacon grease seeped into his phone and destroyed his phone. Guess who ca carries an extra iPhone when he travels that James was able to use? Gerald. An extra iPhone. That's a, that's a good one. Well, it's all part of those life lessons. I mean, I yep. can tell you, Chicken, Lake Chickamauga is my nemesis, like in bass fishing. It's so much my nemesis besides the fish catching part. I've lost a phone at Lake Chickamauga every time I've gone from it flying out of the boat, me dropping and entering a call. But every time I've gone to Lake Chickamauga, I've had to go to the Verizon store in Dayton, Tennessee. And so those lessons make me carry an extra phone. Uh, you know, every little lesson I've learned has ultimately led to being the, the prepared person I am today uh, when it comes to being on the water. I mean, I carry tools, jumper cables, uh, my offshore boat, I got an extra set of lithium batteries in there. I got, I got everything you can think of. He, he travels with an extra lower unit for his boat. He's got an uh, extra everything. Yeah. Yeah, so typically when something goes wrong, someone's calling me like, hey, man, do you got this? And I'm like, I didn't bring my extra to give to you, right? but I will. I'm going to hook you up anyway. 
<laughs> so That's yeah cool. but anyway it's all those life lessons um you, you know like my dad used to think my mom my, my mom used to think i would always end up in jail my dad would always think i'd end up dead but if if so be patient with your kids if they do something ridiculously stupid they're going to carry that with them the rest of their life and hopefully ultimately in the end if they survive it all they'll be 10 times smarter from the lessons. <laughs> That's cool, man. Dude, those are, those are uh, great stories and great lessons that came out of it. Um, we appreciate you doing it, coming on it and telling us, dude, uh, it, it was pretty entertaining. And uh, we, I think everyone took, took a lot out of it. Yeah. Thanks, Gerald. Appreciate it, man. No problem, guys. I'll, I'll, anything I can do for the entertainment of your podcast listeners. <laughs> Thanks. And hey, if you if you guys are listening and you have a crazy story that you would want to come on and tell, uh, you know, we definitely invite anyone to uh, drop us an email and we'll be glad to uh, chat with you on here and and uh, listen to your stories. That's what the show is all about. But um, Gerald, dude, uh, we, we've had you for a while. We don't need to keep you any longer, but um, thank you so much, dude. And uh, look forward to next week. Don't work too hard down in Venice. Save some energy for catching those bass at Watts Bar, man. Yeah. Yeah, just on the uh, end note, since I sacrificed myself to start this thing, I think it'd be really cool for y'all to just wrap your podcast up every week with somebody's good, qualified captain, humility story. Um, that'd be something listeners can look forward to at the end of every podcast. Like, oh, I wonder what's the crazy story this week. Oh yeah. I think, I think we're going to try it for sure. So, uh, you know, and, and out of all of our friends, we've got plenty of stories that can get this going. But again, like I said, if the listeners, if you guys have a good one, send it in and, uh, we'd love to, if you, if you don't want to actually physically get on the podcast, just email us the story. But if you do want to come on and talk, uh, we, we open uh, it up to that too. So, um, it's a great call, Gerald and, uh, heck yeah, man, drive, drive safe, dude. I will. Uh, I'll see you next week, man. All right, man. I'll see y'all next week. Later. See you. See you, dude.